This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, companies are selling us dirt and marketing it to us as gold. One of the experts exposing this is Weston Kay, a leather worker with Rose Anvil. He's also a YouTuber. What he does is he cuts shoes and boots in half to expose the shocking ways that companies make them and their dirty marketing to mark up the prices. What's the worst storm you have lived through? Your calls and text with Hurricane Fiona tiptoeing up to the East Coast this weekend. And plus, are you okay with finding a parking spot. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with finding a place to park? I feel like it's about a good attitude. Really? I think parking is as good as your attitude. But how does attitude play into parking? Yeah. Well, I think that when you come into the parking lot and you keep your head up and you look at the parking lot before you turn into it, you get a good idea of where the spots might be. You turn in, you have a positive attitude, and it generally works out. You get a pretty good parking spot. So your your positive attitude somehow manifests a, a good spot near the front is what you're trying to say there? Like, what's your basis I, well, I in that, science for that? Yeah, no, I don't think it manifests a spot. It's like someone's standing there like, whoa, good vibes, man. I better move my car so this guy can park here. I don't think it works like that. But I think what it does is that you go in with a clear head and then you're like, hey, look at that. That one's pretty close. I think when you're attached to being like in the front row, that's just that's an attitude that doesn't work. But I think when you're open minded, you go in and you're like, you kind of draw yourself to, you know, the good spots and you find something close by and you're like, meh, I like that close by. Well done. Yeah, I guess I kind of see where you're going from there. And uh, being more okay with having to park a little bit further away, I guess, depending on what you're buying and bringing back to your car. That's it. It's all just the glass is half full. I think that that's the thing. It works for me every single time I pull into the parking lot. Every time. Tempered expectations. Like, don't go in expecting, like, expecting near the front because you're probably Mm going to be somewhat disappointed depending on the time of year. Now, I like to refer to it, and this is how I live, as a fierce calm. You're neither expecting, you know, the greatest or expecting disaster. Sit in that middle, that fierce calm. Don't always chase one or or, or dwell in the other. That's Mm. my advice for you. Thank you. There you go. Thank you for listening. All right. Profound. You want to subscribe to... uh Brendan Kelly's TED Talk, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Brendan at it's the shift.ca. Uh, sometimes when you're trying to park, um, you just can't find a spot. And sometimes when you're not in a rush, of course, you find all the spots. This is the way it goes. Murphy's Law, one might say. But sometimes an emergency happens and you just park wherever you can. Even the police need to find some unconventional places to park their squad cars while they do their work from time to time. But a police officer in Colorado found one place that you cannot park. The chief of the Platteville Police Department tells us one of his officers is on paid administrative leave after leaving his patrol car parked on train tracks and putting a suspect in the back seat. A train hit the car, seriously injuring the woman in custody in the back seat. Police haven't updated us on her condition or who she might be. Fort Lupton police say she was wanted for an incident of road rage miles away from where this crash happened. Okay. Whoa, that's from KVUE. Uh, The Colorado State Patrol is investigating the crash involving a train and the squad car. I'm guessing the police officer was not in the car at the time? No, he was not in the car. She was alone. I can only imagine the moment, if you're the police officer, 
Choo choo. And you turn around, you're like, oh no. Oh, crap. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, it actually takes a, a train over a mile to mm-hmm. stop, to come to mm-hmm. a stop. So it, I don't know why you would consider parking on a track. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, you think you'd be more aware, you know, cop and all. Oh, yeah. well. But the lady seems to be okay, injured, but okay from based on the report. But, uh, yeah, no parking on the train tracks, my friends. No parking no, on the train tracks. One place. I mean, it's inviting because there's usually always a spot, mostly because nobody wants to park on the train tracks for that very reason. Are you okay with vodka? Vodka? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, vodka is like, okay, here's here's my philosophy on vodka. Vodka is the best alcohol when you are partying it up in high school, right? If you can get it cheap, it's easy to drink, easy to mix. You can put it with anything. It's fine. But then what happens is you drink it when you're a bit younger, and then you realize it tastes disgusting, so you leave it alone. And then you come back to it when you're older, and you find out that there's fancy vodka that actually doesn't taste like rubbing alcohol and that is good but i would still every single time pick gin over vodka i think it's a very safe path of growth through vodka that you've described right there we did learn that by the way that ukrainian vodka source of vodka is from poland even though that's old boundaries that is now ukrainian but it's not actually vodka horilka is what we were told by our friends over in Ukraine is actually the legit Ukrainian Polish vodka horilka. I haven't learned that yet specifically, but that's what we were told. So it's uh, it's good to know. BK, you don't drink much, but was vodka ever on your menu? Oh, like back in the day, uh, vodka was always the cheapest. So that's why. Um, mm. And also, like, you know, you had a few too many beers over the couple of weeks and you realize you're starting to expand and get the little beer belly then. You could always just have some vodka sodas. Mm. Yeah, keep it thin, right? Keep it low-cal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it does get the job done. Cheap, doesn't taste so great, kind of makes your eyes water. But if it's good stuff, it could be really, really nice. And thanks to the Internet, we may have found a new way to get uh, to the alcohol without the taste of vodka, which is too bad, but this is the cheap vodka. So here's what you need. You need cheap vodka and a Brita filter. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what's happening online. Putting vodka through the Brita filter might actually change the flavor, they say. We are going to be putting some vodka through a Brita filter, and then we're going to compare how it tastes before and how it tastes after. Personally, I don't you see think it's going to work. No, I, it's not gonna I do not see this working well. I don't think it distills it. When you drink, you want to get drunk. Let's be real. Will it make you less drunk? Will it make you less drunk? We are flying. Ooh. Non-filtered, cheap, cheap vodka. Trader Joe's usually has good stuff. That's not good. It tastes like sweet almost. She's filtered. Also, it's noon. (laughs) Oh my god, it's literally noon. Oh wow. It tastes like nothing. It tasted like water. (laughs) I don't know how much they drank, but it must have been a cheap drunk to be giggling like that. Yeah. Um, this isn't actually a new test, but TikTok has sort of brought it back into the conversation, as does TikTok. So does it actually work, or is that TikTok bogus? 
Well, according to the 15 different tests Ryan read about online, which is clearly science. No, that's research, but um, this does work. If you run any cheap vodka through a filter, it will change the taste. It might take two to three filtrations to have any effect on the taste, but you should definitely not do this with expensive vodka. Just enjoy the taste. In fact, uh, we got some text messages here, 877-399-9898. Trucker Dan says, if you have not really tasted vodka until you've had Polish vodka, it's so good, I drink it neat. And Catherine says, screwdrivers screwed me up. Oh, screwdrivers, man. That was mine. When I went to college, I was 18 years old. The vodka orange juice screwdriver was like the go-to. That was very good. That was the sneak the Mickey into the bar and order glasses of orange juice. And somehow I never got caught when I was young. I I mean, who goes to a bar and orders orange juice? (laughs) I was just going to say when I was at a bar on my birthday back last month, I ordered a virgin screwdriver. Which is did you really? Did they bring it? Like, did a you really screwdriver? do that? Yeah, I was like, I, I'd like a virgin screwdriver. Yeah, they brought and me a cup of orange juice. Did they <laughs> they did, eh? That's very fun. Yeah. How much they charge you? Like 15 bucks? It was free. Oh, it was, okay. it was my birthday. It was your birthday. This is the Shift Podcast. It's not very often we really get excited. Everybody gets all excited about the same thing. Well, it's happening, and it's happening right now. We're excited about the same thing because of different reasons, though. We have shared here on The Shift about marketing as truth versus marketing as sales pitch. We've talked about that. We've talked about you know creators that create. We've talked about all these things. Ryan has shared with us in his love affair for sneakers that there are some shady, shady things going on in the world of the sneakers. Now, Ryan has gone out and one of the authorities on the interwebs of all of this shady things going on the sneakers um, is a group called Rose Anvil and Weston K is here with us to get into this conversation. Now, Weston, I don't know how old you are. Um, I don't know, you know, all these things, but I can tell you that since I've had a friend that's a millennial in my life, my speakers, sneaker spending has skyrocketed, and I blame him. How are you doing yes. today? Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, and I, uh, I'm 32. I just turned 32, so mm. I'm right in the, the heat of that millennial ra- that age range. Yeah, yeah, you're right in the middle of it. So the sneaker thing is so popular, which I struggle with as a business owner because for me, I'm like, all these people are investing in these assets that have no tracking, no structure in the business. There's no limited number things, organization to it all. It's not like other assets that have a structure to them. That's scary for me financially for all these people that spend a bunch of money on it. it shoes are scary for you for a different reason, though. Yeah, so I kind of have a unique perspective on all this because I come from more of the work boot background because I was raised in a really rural area. So I was, work, you know, I did firefighting, I did construction working. So I, I wasn't as involved with sneakers except for when I played basketball in high school and stuff. And so when we started the channel, we started doing boots first, which boots are built to a certain standard because of their their purpose. And a lot of times, the more money you spend, the higher quality materials you get. But then we start cutting apart sneakers and we start realizing these ultra hyped up sneakers and these these even the, the unhyped up sneakers that are being sold for 150 to 200 dollars. There's zero intrinsic value in them. And it's all based on the look of the shoe, who's collaborating with them. And it's completely missing that entire 
other aspect of it uh, that in footwear that matters, and that's the quality that you're putting underneath your foot. Now you are well. You were building boots, uh, beautiful boots in the photos too that I that I saw. So having, I mean, you don't make it as a leather maker in today's world unless you're literally legitimately building and selling quality. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And I, you know, this leatherworking is a very old school way to make a living. And I think that's how we ended up getting into the, the YouTube space because, you know, I started making wallets and belts and some of the, it's the typical leather goods in college. And then we really had a, a successful product in a, a camera harness that was made for wedding photographers. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, this these more, not necessarily luxury, but um, things that you don't necessarily have to buy the expensive handmade versions and belts and wallets and camera harnesses. Those no longer were important to people, but quality was because all of a sudden everyone's income got cut in half and everyone's jobs got derailed. And now they no longer have that as much uh, income to just throw at things they want. So now that people are curious about, okay, well, if I'm going to spend my money on the sneaker, if I'm going to spend my money on these boots, like what am I actually getting for that money? And so that's when we started that YouTube channel to just, and it wasn't even the idea that it was going to be this huge channel. It was just, hey, let's cut apart a, a pair of Doc Martens and see what's on the inside and see if people are actually getting what they pay for. And it just really resonated with people and it resonated with the boot community. It resonated with construction workers and the blue collar sneaker heads. And now we've gotten to the point where we're really starting to expose some of these big brands like Nike for some of their BS marketing and some of their, mm-hmm. their tactics to spin negative things in a positive light because they know they have a community that's willing to buy whatever they throw their name on. Yeah, and whatever they say it is. Before we uh, get into the sneakers, I did want to acknowledge I do love the belts, by the way. Like <laughs> the, the leather, I mean, the, the sneaker conversation is one thing, but the leather work is outstanding. So we, I, I will share that at shiftheads.ca into our Facebook oh, group you. so everyone can see that part as well as the YouTube channel too because I love those things. Now, Ryan has given me some specific examples of what it is that we're talking about here. We are speaking with Weston K. He's with Rose Anvil. They have an amazing YouTube channel. They literally cut shoes in half to see what they're made of. Now, Ryan, what was the pair that you had shared with me that it was an upsell for the sneaker company from a normal sneaker and an upsell? And in fact, it's crappier. Well, there's been probably too many to count, but the one that shocked me was the uh, Air Force One uh, Western, uh, the, the new, the fancy, ver- the fresh. Thank you. So essentially Nike decided, Hey, you don't want to crease your air force ones. It's a classic shoe. We've upped the quality. We've upped everything to make this the freshest looking pair of air forces. And we're going to charge you more for it. And then Weston, as you guys found, when you cut it in half, it was basically worse and more expensive than just a standard pair of air forces. Yeah, exactly. It was a, you know, they, they basically just took their standard leather and, made it softer to with the idea that well if the leather's softer it's not going to take a hard crease as much and i don't know if they didn't test it or if they just got too far down the road and realized it creased more but even after going to the gym once the creasing was significantly worse than just a regular pair of air force ones because what they do is they take really cheap leather and to make it look like a better leather they just lay a fat layer of like polyurethane plastic on top of it and that's why you see the plasticky looking sneakers. But the problem with that is when you have a really soft leather, that plastic top coat separates from the leather underneath. So you get those really big bubbling and creasing effect that you don't usually see in a higher quality leather. And so when they did that with the Air Force One leather, 
they basically just pre-creased all the leather. So all it takes is five steps and all of a sudden you're, you've creased your sneakers more than you would after an entire day in the regular pair of Air Force Ones. I remember when my kids got Air Force Ones and they were walking funny, like straight-legged ducks because yeah. they didn't want to crease their Air Force Ones, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, no creases, no creases, Dad, no creases. <laughs> okay, so Weston, what is... Um, you're obviously not making a whole lot of friends in the sneaker world, and, and we do try to right. keep positive here on the shift a little bit. So uh, can we balance out one of the most surprising shoes for junk um, in, yeah, that you've observed, and then maybe some of the ones that, that were actually maybe not so bad? Can we balance that a little bit, maybe create some contrast? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in the, the footwear world for sneakers in particular there's a lot of these up and coming smaller brands who are making premium versions of the old school sneakers that are getting really popular. And maybe more importantly, these giant corporations like Nike and Adidas and stuff, they've, they, they've completely removed the handcrafted feel and the, the American made aspect of products that are being sold to Americans. And you see a lot of these brands popping up with the boot community of like, handmade boots in the Pacific Northwest, like whites and, and Nicks and like that real value, but it doesn't really translate to sneakers, but you do have some really high quality sneakers still being made across the world. One of the best sneakers we've ever cut apart was made by a brand called crown Northampton and they're based in uh, Northampton, England. And they make sneakers like hand stitch everything. They use the highest quality leather they do everything that you could possibly do to a sneaker to make it as high quality as possible. And so the capabilities out there, there's, there's factories making the highest quality sneakers out there. It's just some of these uh, higher, bigger brands, they're all about the margin. They're all about getting people to buy sneakers more often. And, uh, but I think there's a little bit of a, a turning of the tide when it comes to understanding quality and people wanting to invest in, a, in one thing rather than several things that wear out over time with planned obsolescence. And so we've seen a lot of this, even with the YouTube channel, where people are wanting to support these brands that are making the highest quality products possible because they've seen, you know, okay, well, maybe the world's not as stable as we thought it was. You know what? Maybe I do need to invest in some stuff that's going to last me a long time. And so I, there seems like there is a resurgence in a, in a desire for quality. Now, you're a, a young man, and you know, you said you're sort of in that millennial pocket. Do you find it a little ironic that generationally, and yes, I'm using a big broad stroke of a generation, so please forgive that part, but I think it's safe. Generationally, that your generation is far more aware of recklessness when it comes to the environment, right? Being more responsible, paying more attention, a lot better than mine has been, without a doubt. I find this extremely ironic that this generation that jumps up and down about, you know, uh, the climate change and the environment and waste is actively wasting one of the worst products of petroleum based products for the most part out there. And they're actively spending more and more money, constantly raising the value to do it. Does that that must sit weird with you as a guy who's trying to do it properly? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, I don't know if it, it, yeah, it does seem kind of seem like the millennial group has a lack of awareness when it comes to irony. You know, it's just like we talk, they talk about all these like these things that are so important to them. And at the same time, they're, they're carrying around an iPhone that was made by not necessarily slave labor, but about as close to slave labor as you can get. 
And so, and that's, that's another part of the thing that we're always trying to show people is like a lot of this, I think these attitudes is just a lack of information. And so even when you get down to these really niche communities, like making sneakers and boots, the, the brands out there are not incentivized to show you how they're making their boots and what they're doing to really make a difference with the world. And like Nike's really popular, one of their popular uh, things they're doing is like recycling and making shoes out of recycled goods, but they don't really show you the whole story behind all of it and how much waste they put out compared to how much waste they're preventing from going out into the world by doing these recycled things. And like, they have like all these forward facing, like, uh, uh, social things that they're promoting. But then at the same time, they're hiring out these companies that are using nearly slave labor to make their products. And so it just seems like this whole lack of awareness of irony is across the board, especially with our, with the millennial group. And I don't, I don't really know why it's that way. It's just, I don't know if it's because, you know, because maybe your generation that wasn't shoved down people's throats so much when it comes to conservation and recycling. And maybe we were raised with that. And so it's on the forefront of our minds. But it, there definitely is a lot of irony out there with it. Well, end of life really is the new look, right? If we want to simplify the conversation is that organizations that are are being aware are looking at my product end of life. What does end of life look like? And even the recycled products that we're seeing here oh these are made out of recycled bottles but there's still no end of life for that right there's nothing that's there for that all right i don't want to beat up on that part too much um you cut shoes in half to see if they are any good let's talk about the worst as bad as it gets uh maybe the biggest ripoff in your opinion of of shoes where we're as where we as consumers are getting soaked do you have a do you have a worst offender uh, that's that's can, the tough can one. Can you nail down one worst offender? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, honestly, the, the one we talked about is up there with the the most embarrassing and most uh, heinous version of crafting a narrative and completely making a product that is not what it was. That Air Force One Fresh was designed to be a shoe with premium leather that was supposed to be better in every way, but it just wasn't. And that's that's probably the most egregious offender of like upselling a product and having it be less quality than, the, than its predecessor. Um, base, but basically anything those, those brands put out, any, 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 any of the big brands that are putting out products, they just don't make good shoes. Like there's some of their performance shoes are okay. Like some of their basketball lines and some of their purpose built shoes are, but they're casual shoes. I don't know how they price them, but it sure seems arbitrary. And it seems like a lot of the money is going towards the corporation and not being funneled back to the consumer to try to make better products for them. That's going to last longer. That's going to give them the, the product that they could have had at the same price. It was made by somebody other than that giant corporation. Rose Anvil, uh, they do a bunch of leather work too, but part of their, part of their stand is quality and they cut shoes in half. Ryan O'Donnell is here and this is Weston K with us chatting um, from Rose Anvil. Is there one product or thing that you found in a shoe that you found most surprising? Like, is it a, a steel shank or a, a plastic something or something that you were like, why is this here? Is there a surprising piece of a shoe that surprised you the most? I mean, as a leather maker, yours is built in, you know, tried and tested you know, quality. Yeah. I, I think just generally there's, there's this interesting uh, thing that happens with boots and shoes that when, when there's something that needs to be hidden or when there's a corner that needs to be cut, 
it's always on the inside of the shoe because you want to keep the outside of the shoe of the appearance perfect and you want it to look like quality. You want the people to hold the shoe and think that they, they, it was money well spent, but the vast majority of people are not cutting their boots and shoes in half. And so they, it's the little stuff they hide on the inside, whether it's just subpar leather on the inside or when they, you know, well, maybe some of the, the more funny ones is when they do these retro sneakers that have old school technology, like, uh, Reebok pumps, or we're just we're doing the Adidas forums right now, where they have these these technologies, and on the outside it looks like the whole shoe is lined with this tech, and then you cut it in half and you realize it's just a small square pad that just makes it look like through a little peephole that the whole shoe is lined with this, when in all reality it's not. Those are my favorite ones because you just you you bust these brands making shoes look like they have some sort of per- performance technology throughout the entire shoe, right. and it doesn't have any at all. That's some sort of honeycomb, something, something fancy, moon juice. Yeah, Hexalite you know. was maybe one of the worst offenders. I think of uh, I think of golf balls is another bad unrelated to this but golf balls because every year like your new golf ball is four yards further and if that's the case since i started golfing i would hit the golf ball like 600 yards like and i'm still hitting at the same distance actually probably a little bit less let's be honest this is fascinating ryan is there um is there one particular brand you were curious about about sneakers that or do we just want to let this go so you don't get heartbroken anymore (laughs) it's actually kind of rewarding to see like yes i fall for the traps as the average sneakerhead i mean i don't have an absurd collection but it's kind of refreshing actually to see through like the veil curtain that they show up and you know in when you guys kind of you know cut adidas shoes in half and see okay there is a full thing of boost comfortable material that's rewarding so there's good and bad but the one thing that i was really curious about weston is you see it everywhere and it's uh whether it's a tiny thing of suede on top of plastic or synthetic leather all over the shoe you know, it seems like more and more of the products that everybody's buying these days are just completely covered in synthetic replacements for the natural material. Is that, in your opinion, a, a bad decision or can the synthetic materials be used in good effect? Well, the way I see it is nature's had millions of years to develop the perfect material to wrap animals in including humans you know we we have skin on us every animal has skin and it's just evolutionarily the best product to wrap your your fleshy soft body in and so when it comes to footwear which is another way to wrap wrap your fleshy soft body in the perfect material is leather because it's had millions of years of evolution but from a conservation standpoint and a you know a a recycling standpoint you could uh, this pair of boots that i have on right now you could bury this in the ground and 100 years from now it'd be completely dissolved and everything would return back to nature versus these plastic shoes and these foam shoes it's they'll stick around after humans are dead because it's all synthetic materials and synthetic materials just never quite have the same durability as some of the the natural materials but that being said, like you mentioned, like some of the, the best technology and some of the most comfortable things is coming from the performance based shoes in like the ultra boost and like the, uh, the Nike running shoes. So it's not like all these shoes are bad. There's some really good technology coming out that adds comfort that no natural material will ever be able to match. And so not every Nike shoe is bad. The, like uh, Adidas's boost is great. Nike's zoom X is great. There's some technology out there that's hard to beat in any natural material. 
I love the uh, Rose Anvil White's Drifter boot. Like, tell me that's not like one of the set. I like an upper, <laughs> but tell me that's not one of the sexiest boots out there. That's what I'm saying. Like, people are missed. People love sneakers. I get the whole sneaker hype, but man, a nice made pair of boots, they're hard to beat. So what, when you do this, do you guys partner your leather with their soles? Is that how you do it? Um, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, we'll meet with these brands and I'll, I'll have an idea for a boot that I'm like, oh, I've had this dream boot for years and I want to make it like this, this, and this. And I just beg these companies to just make this boot for me. And a lot of times they'll find like, all right, all right, we'll make the boot. We'll only do 200 pairs, but we'll make it for you. And then we sell them and we do a little limited edition run. And, you know, we're kind of playing off of that same sneakerhead culture of like, not necessarily artificially building scarcity and hype, but like doing limited edition stuff to get people excited, to get people involved in this, this boot community, because it is a, it's an old school way of, of making footwear, but there's certain advantages you get from it that you can't get from, from sneakers. Wow. And uh, much like a painter who paints the inside of a house, they don't have a lot of reason to come back for a long time if they do a good job and it takes a little extra work to make sure that those people stay faithful and remember who you are so those boots need to be good because they're not coming back in four months right they're not yeah it's not and they're and they're made for people that are on their feet working all day every day you know there's people that wear them casually but the majority of people that buy this quality of boots are depending on it for their livelihood and -hmm. so it's just a completely different paradigm compared to sneakers you know, because and that, that's the other thing about sneakers is, I, I we we kind of talked a little trash on the sneaker community and some of these big brands, but it is a really unique thing that sneakers are doing, where they're able to revive some of these old school patterns and these these sneakers that were forty years old because of how much traction and how much hype surrounds every single release. And so for that, it is kind of cool that we have the sneaker community and these sneaker brands that are willing to do basically any form of shoe that, that, that they think the community is going to like, and there's enough traction to them and there's enough, there's enough people interested that there's so many interesting boots and shoes and technology being developed by these big sneaker corporations. Yeah. They're doing some cool things, whether they're weird moon boots or not. I mean, that's everyone's personal taste, but they <laughs> are pushing the envelope without a doubt. It's just, I wish they pushed the envelope and were upfront about it. And I just want to be clear that even your boots, leather laces is still a thing. I mean, you guys legitimately go leather, like real deal. Yeah. yeah. This is cool. Well, thanks for being so generous with your time. Weston K is with Rose Anvil and all of the links at shiftheads.ca. I'm going to put three of them. I'm going to put the uh, the White's Drifter partnership boot with Rose Anvil. And I'm also going to put the YouTube channel so you could just see this unfold. Mind-blowing. And not only that, the website, just for some good old buy some stuff. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been fun. This is the Shift Podcast. Storms are crazy things, right? Storms are these amazing moments that cause us to stop and we talk and we see them when we share and we somehow try to describe the lightning like it was like we really could, but we think we can because it was that amazing to us. It's really cool. Here's an example. One storm when I was in uh, doing radio in Sudbury, Ontario. I was dry. We were driving on a bus. We had a little staff event in North Bay. And um, there was just sheet lightning for an hour. That was it. It was just like this nonstop sheet lightning. It looked like something out of Ghostbusters. And I, it just was this constant like paparazzi. Nothing ever really like stormed or hit the ground or anything. It was just endless sheet lightning. I'll never forget that day. 
And no matter how I try to describe it to you, because it's amazing in my head, you're like, okay, sheet lightning. <laughs> like, it doesn't translate very well. But we're going to try. We're going to try and we're going to share what is the worst storm that you've been through. What was the outcome of that? 877-399-9898. Was it fallen trees? Was it storms? Was it floods? What was it for you? Now, I have some friends that were golfing out on the East Coast, and they have all hopped on their airplanes and scuttled back to the West Coast of Calgary, or uh, Canada, excuse me, (laughs) West Coast of Calgary. Calgary does not have a West Coast, just to be clear, at least not yet. Um, Maybe one day. I mean, hey, the Earth's always changing. What is the worst storm that you have been part of? Uh, I get to talk about, I've talked about both these on the air, um, on the show. And so you might have heard parts of this story before, but there was one storm. I remember I was young though. I was younger than 10 and it was one of the first ones because when you live on Vancouver Island, you don't get massive electrical storms all the time. It was wicked. It was, um, winter time. So it was tons of rain and pouring and thunder and lightning and it knocked out power like crazy. And so my parents, I don't know why, but my parents, what do you do when this power goes out and <laughs> everything's full stop. You let your kids go for a sleepover. That's what you do. We did. I don't even remember whose house it was. I just remember it was at Sprout Lake. And the coolest thing about going to that was candles and because we had those gas lanterns where you would use the pump to pressurize with the lighter. And um, we played this song on cassette until the batteries died of the boombox. And this is what I remember about the storm. Nonstop. That was it. That was the reminder for me about um, why that storm. Trees down. There was houses with dips in the roof because a tree would fall on the roof of the house. It was crazy. It was wild. What is the most wild storm that you've been through? Tell us your story. Catherine's in Surrey, 877-399-9898. Hey, Kat. Hey, that sheet lightning is cool. And I've never, I, you know, I've never seen it until I moved to Ottawa. And it is a, really, I know what you're talking about. It's cool. And I never saw it in my life, ever, until I mm-hmm. went to Ottawa. But my story is when I lived in Ottawa in 2000, I was just near the window, and and the, there was no warning. And all of a sudden, bam! Right, like, and I've never heard thunder that loud. And the, I don't know if it was the first year they ever had tornadoes in Ottawa, but it ripped the roof right off uh, the supermarket part of the roof, and it ripped up the uh, bus shelter. And that was in Gloucester. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I don't want to live here. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful there. I love that. That's cool. That's an amazing. The ice storm also would be probably another one we could add to that list, too. Um, amazing. Catherine, thank you very much for your call. 877-399-9898. What is the wildest storm that you've ever lived through? It does make you think of more of them, too. You don't really realize it until you start talking about it. It's kind of like Good News Tuesday, except it's like Thunderstorm Thursday here on the shift. <laughs> storm stories make storm story babies. Let's just shift that around a little bit. All right, in Calgary, we have uh, Malad here. Hey, Malad. 
uh, yes, it was May of 1987. And uh, at that time, uh, I was at Stampede Wrestling, and we did the show Saturday night up in Edmonton. And we always left to Edmonton and we come back to Calgary. Well, everything was going great until we got to uh, uh, Lacombe and it started snowing. And I mean snowing and snowing that we went right through Red Deer, didn't even notice that we went through Red Deer Gasoline Alley. And we would get in a ditch, like, you know, at least four times. And we there was 12 guys in the van. And we'd push it out. And finally, we, uh, we were eight kilometers north of Olds. And we couldn't get ourselves out. And we were stuck in the van. And I mean, it was blizzarding like you wouldn't believe. And then we, uh, the RCMP came in the morning. And they rescued us, and it was still, it was still snowing and blizzarding. But we had one guy walking beside the van, kicking the snow to find out uh, we're still on the road. That's how bad huh. that was. 1987 in May. Scary, hey? I bet it was. And there was a lot of Americans in there, and they were freaking. The Americans mm-hmm. they just didn't know what to do. It's amazing. It's fascinating. Uh, Malad, thank you very much for that. Um, curious to hear more of your Stampede Wrestling stories one day, if you will humor us. Penny is in Kamloops. Hi, Penny. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Penny. Tell me about your storm. Well, this was back in 1967, and I was in just getting ready to go into grade 7. You know how when you go to school, you have to, you know who had the best story to tell over the summer? Well, I had the very best one. We were driving through Wyoming from Arkansas to Washington. We were driving through Wyoming. It was a beautiful sunny day. Then all of a sudden, it was like someone was taking a black window shade and just going across the sky, and it was black. All of a sudden, it was like daylight, and within five minutes, it was black, and there was lightning going sideways across the sky all over the place, just just sideways completely. And then the rain started coming, and then you know how you see the the tornado on the Wizard of Oz, you know Absolutely. that twister thing. You could see one off to the right. We were in a little tiny red Ford Falcon. Three girls in the back seat, mom and dad in the front. You could see off to your right this tornado, just like off the Wizard of Oz, and it was coming towards us. And then way behind us, out the back window, you could see another tornado. And wow. mom says, "Just pray, girls. Just pray," you know. And so. Pretty soon you couldn't see the tornado to the right because it was over the top of us. And we just keep driving down the highway. But you could feel the car lift up off the road and set back down and lift up off the road and set back down. It was the craziest thing ever. And then pretty soon we drove out of this storm. We pull into a gas station on the other side and the people said, did you come off that highway? Didn't you know there's tornadoes on that highway? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's so wild. Oh, that, that's a wild story, Penny. Thank you so much. I can't even, that feeling, I can, the way Penny described the car getting a little lighter, I can feel it come off the highway. That's unbelievable. There must be somebody who can tell me a story about Edmonton's tornado too, by the way. We were in Saskatchewan for a ball tournament when the one hit Edmonton, but my sister and my mom were in Edmonton uh, in Mill Woods at the arena when that one hit. What's the worst storm you've been through here? It's The Shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. Evelyn is in Winnipeg. 
Jane. Okay, my storm, my storm. I was 15 at the time. It was November of 1986. Um, the snow was the snow was so thick and so high that the only way that you could get through it is through um, the big four by fours or mm-hmm. skidoos or skidoos. Mm-hmm. And I was Love stuck. It. I was stuck. I was stuck downtown. I was stuck downtown, and um, I I was stranded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I ended up. Yeah, it was it was it, it was cra- it was a crazy time. But you know the weather. The weather is unpredictable. You don't know it what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Thank you very much, Evelyn. In Winnipeg, November 1986 was her storm. What's the worst storm you've been through? Uh, one texter says, I was 10 feet away from a telephone pole when I got hit by lightning once. The lightning turned the pole into toothpicks. Mm, I remember the smell after that one. Oh, I bet you would. My God. What is the worst storm that you have been through? Chris is in Calgary. Hey, Chris. Hey there. Uh, I'm from Saskatchewan originally, and uh, I had been through three tornado near Missus, so I, I I thought that was cool. But then uh, I moved to Florida for a short time, and uh, oh, no. and uh, most of the locals. This is back in 2004. Most of the locals had evacuated. There was me and one other guy in my neighborhood that didn't evacuate because we thought. These were um, overreactive people. They they had evacuated a few times in Windy Day and Pitcher Creek, so we decided to stay, and it was uh, probably a bad decision. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I was Hurricane Ivan, they, was it, Chris? Yeah, back in two thousand and four. So I was in Pensacola Beach, right right wow. uh, on the Panhandle of Florida. And, I can't uh, imagine. Um, I can't imagine that. Like I can't even imagine the wind. And to say that he stuck around, I love how you say that. That might have been a bad decision. Uh, thanks, Chris, for that. Chris, we're just going to let you go just because your phone's cutting out, brother. I do appreciate your phone call. The service is a little breaking up there, so uh, we're just going to move forward. 877-399-9898. Um, I went to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina to hit delivery supplies. The aftermath I saw there was truly unbelievable, Nighthawk Steve. I imagine some of you trucker folks have seen some wicked, wicked, wicked things. Um, where did that one go? Did I lose it? I think Derek had texted in the snowstorm in Vancouver in 2008. I remember when that one hit. I was not here. I was in Hawaii. My sister was trying to get through Vancouver to get to Hawaii. They flew from Edmonton, got to Vancouver, turned around, went back to Edmonton, and were told, hey, by the way, yeah, you're not going to where you're going, so you're going to have to figure that out. was not cool. They paid so much money to get on another flight. Um, They were with Air Canada, and they had to fly with WestJet. But everybody was trying to get everywhere because that storm, everything was shut down. Worst storm. Oh, that was, that was Steve. My apologies. Steve has said that worst storm, December 2008 in Vancouver. Didn't even recognize my own neighborhood and the roof caved in at extra foods. What is the worst storm that you've been through? Uh, Stephanie's in Portage, Manitoba. I love Stephanie. Can I stereotype you for a second? Cause I was born in Flim Flon. So I feel like I can, I can say this. Um, I do love snow. St- storm stories from manitoba i think they're great okay <laughs> i do because it's i, I don't know because you, you guys it's so cold in the winter time so you guys get literally like the coldest of the cold it could be the worst storm of your life or it could be tuesday depends on how you look at it so tell me about your right. worst storm please yeah it was october 2019 it was thanksgiving weekend and it hit friday 
And my mom and I had no power in our house for four days till Mon- the, the Thanksgiving Monday afternoon, like at three o'clock in the afternoon. And but we had a good time. We had you know, play cards and stuff. But um, our neighbors were really good to us. They you know let us know when the McDonald's finally had power at the uh, west end of our city and um, and that. So that was nice and. And then uh, uh, Tim Hortons is close by there, too. So my mom was able to get her co- morning coffee because she loves her morning co- loved her morning coffee. That's so good. Oh, man. It's very anyway. Canadian, too. I love it. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I appreciate the phone call. Oh, man. That's great. 877-399-9898. What's the worst storm that you've been through as we are waiting anxiously for this Hurricane Fiona as it makes its way up the East Coast and expect it to really hammer it. It's the strangest thing. The the path could get Halifax, can get Nova Scotia, but it might actually miss and go in between Newfoundland and Labrador. Weird. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.